Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you for already moving upon our hearts in the worship. Thank you for preparing us for your word. And we ask, God, now that you would speak to us through your word, God, that your Holy Spirit would move. God, that we would just empty ourselves, Lord, of ourselves, and that we would come before you ready and willing to be filled by your word, filled by you. And God, as you come into our hearts, Lord, work in deep ways, Lord, not just the surface. Lord, go deep into the crevices, Lord, and the cracks that we may grow and change and become the people of God you want us to be. Lord, that's why we're here, to seek you. We're here to worship you. We're here to lift your name and glorify you. And we're here, God, to find you more in our lives. So touch this time now, anoint it with your spirit, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Hey, I read about this mother who brought her newborn baby to the pediatrician for her first checkup. As the doctor finished up, he said, you have a very cute baby. Smiling with pride, the mother said, I bet you say that to all the new mothers. No, said the doctor, just to those whose babies are really good looking. So... Then the curious mother was asking, what do you say to the others? Well, the doctor replied, he looks just like you. <laughs> yes, parents can miss what this doctor is really saying. Why is that? Well, because of our pride, right? Our pride can blind us to what's really going on. Someone said, the greatest of all faults is to imagine you have none. Here in our study this morning of 1 Corinthians, Paul exposes the reason for the problems in the Corinthian church. Pride has blinded them in thinking that they're okay, that they're doing all right. And they have this issue with pride. So I titled our message this morning, The Issue with Pride. The Issue with Pride. We're going to be studying 1 Corinthians chapter 4 from verse 3 to verse 13 this morning. We finished off, just did two verses last week, 1 and 2, but now we're going to go on in our study of verse by verse through Corinthians 3 to 13, chapter 4 now. Our outline today is this. The issue with pride is, you know what, they have... Number one, the wrong evaluation. Number two, the wrong perception. And number three, the wrong distinction. That's our outline. So let's begin here with number one, the wrong evaluation. See, with this issue of pride, they have, number one, the wrong evaluation. So take a look with me here now. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. It says here, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. We'll stop right there. Now, beginning here, Paul is writing and he writes, but with me. Now, when he says that, he connects us to the previous verses that we saw last time, verse 1 and 2. Remember how last time Paul was clarifying to the Corinthian believers what a real minister was, what a real preacher and the servant of God. And we found out that he was a, number one, a servant, number two, a steward, number three, steadfast. That was our outline, basically. But he was faithful to his work, the duties, responsibilities that a minister is called to. And we saw that in verse one and two. If you missed it, you can grab the CD. And we saw also in verse 1 that believers are to consider or, the word means regard, ministers in this way. They're not some superhero that they are to lift up, to exalt, to follow. They're, they're, they're not to, to be, you know, uh, feigned upon you. Oh, yeah, look at him and all that. No, but they are to be looked as servants. You remember that. The word servant there is the word literally under rower or galley slave, the ones who, who rowed underneath the bottom of the ship, the Roman ships in the Navy there. We saw that was the lowest of lows. And Paul brought that all out. Why? For it was carnal boasting that they were doing, who, how they were to picking people, picking the 
these teachers and preachers, and then, yeah, we follow this guy. Yeah, we're with this guy. And all of that, as we've been learning in the book of 1 Corinthians, was causing division and contention in the church. And that's why he's writing all this. We saw that ever since from chapter 1. So Paul goes on here now. Paul goes on and he says, but with me. He's saying concerning me, you know, in my ministry, it means very little. It's a small thing. It means very little to me that I am judged. The word judge here in original language means scrutinized. It means evaluated. He says, you know, it, it means very little to me that you guys are evaluating me. You know, me, with, but with me, my ministry, who I am, what I do, hey, what you say, ah, it means little to me. Or even a human court, he goes on here in verse 3. Human court literally is human day, or it means like your day in court. Or really, Paul is saying, you know what, it means little to me that you evaluate me, or even any other human authority, any other person. It doesn't matter to me what you guys think of me. So to kind of connect it from last week to today as the passage flows, Paul is saying you should regard ministers as servants, as stewards of the Lord. But as for me, whether you think of me this way or not, it means very little. I'm not interested in your findings. I'm not interested in, in, in how you look at me. I don't care about how you rank me. That's really the idea here. J. Berman McGee said they were not at the steering wheel of his life. I like that because he's a servant of Christ, we saw in verse 1, right? He, he, his master is the Lord. He gets his orders from God himself. Then Paul says here at the end of verse 3, he says, as a matter of fact, you know what? I don't even judge myself. I don't evaluate myself either. Why is that? Because Paul knows we are all too biased in our own favor, right? We, we always give ourselves more than what we really are. Paul's saying, you know, I'm not even going to totally rely upon my own self-evaluation for, you know what? I know my selfish, sinful flesh is never objective. This made me think of Proverbs chapter 26, verse 12. It says, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than him. Right? So many times we get wise in our own eyes. We think we're so wise. And that's what Paul's getting to. I don't even judge myself because I know me. I can be biased. I know I can be wise in my own eyes. You know, I remember uh, on one test in, in school and in college, actually, it was a very hard class. And I remember the professor graded our test on a curve, right? You guys know what that is. It's, it's where the B turns into an A, you know, where the C turns into a, a, a B, and the D turns into a C, and it's like, oh, phew, passing. Yeah, it was so difficult. And you're glad the, the teacher graded the test on a curve. Well, Paul knows that same thing, that the tendency for even believers like himself to grade ourselves on a curve are on our own evaluation. I mean, how many times do we do that? How many times do we raise the standard on someone else, right? But for us, oh no, it's a lot lower, so we can attain it, right? How many times do we do that? So that we can look better. This is what Paul is saying, hey, I don't rely upon, I'm not even judging myself. He goes on in verse 4. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Paul's saying, look, even if I, I see nothing wrong in myself, with myself, I know nothing against myself. He's saying, you know, even if I, I look in there and there's nothing wrong, I mean, my life is good, I'm doing well with the Lord, my ministry is doing well. He's saying, yet I'm not justified by this. He's saying, it still does not mean I'm okay. It still doesn't mean, hey, I'm, I'm right there. But, no, Paul says, but he who judges me or he who really evaluates me is who? The Lord, the Lord. 
Paul's like, we can only trust the Lord to make a true and proper evaluation. Not ourselves. We can't do that. Only the Lord can. There's a reason why. Because inside of us, oh, we're not too good. There's evil. There's wickedness in there. Take a moment, turn over to Jeremiah. Jeremiah in the Old Testament, chapter 17. Jeremiah, chapter 17. We're going to look at two verses. Verses 9 and 10. Jeremiah, chapter 17. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. It says here, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is what? Deceitful above all things and what? Desperately wicked. Who can know it? What, what, what's Jeremiah saying here? Nobody can really know their own self. Because even in our evaluation, even how we look at ourselves, it's going to be biased, right? Who can know it? Who really can know it? Well, verse 10 is the answer. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. Who really knows? Well, the Lord. The Lord does. The Lord searches the heart. The Lord can look into the mind, test it, evaluate it, and then he's going to reward accordingly. Back to 1 Corinthians 4. So Paul is saying here in these first two verses, whether your evaluation is good or bad, or maybe we should say whether the evaluation is good or bad, it doesn't matter for what matters to me is what God thinks. That's what Paul is saying. This is his point. Whether the evaluation is good or bad, it doesn't matter. But you know what matters to me? What really matters is what God I read about this uh, minister who received a Christmas card with a very praiseful, complimentary kind of note from a lady in the church. At the end of the note, the lady uh, ended saying this, writing this, I think you are really one of the great preachers that are around. Well, the wife happened to see the note and asked, hey, who's that? Who, Who wrote that? Well, the husband says, she's a very intelligent woman who loves great preaching. And the husband, with a twinkle in his eye, turned to her and asked her, So, honey, how many great preachers do you suppose are in the world? And the wife smiled and said, well, one less than you think. (laughs) I like that. Well, isn't that the way we are, though? We love to stroke our egos, yeah? We love to stroke our pride. We love to stroke our egos. You know, we we like that. We want that in our sinful flesh. Listen, I appreciate all of you, your kind and encouraging words. and, And, you know, it helps me to know God is using me, that God is working, you know. But in the end, you know what Paul is saying? No matter what you guys say, now, in the end, no matter what, your evaluation of my teaching, my message, my preaching, good or bad, it doesn't matter. Because what matters to me is what God thinks. It's not about what people think. It's all about what God says, what He says. And for me, it's like this. Did I do my duty the best I can for you, Lord? Did I do that, God? I want to make sure of that. Lord, I come to you to see what you think. Did, did, did I glorify you? Or was it about me? I mean, that's what I think about. Lord, I come to you thinking about what you think. And that's what Paul is saying. You know, whether your evaluation, the evaluation, good, bad, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. But you know what really matters? You know what's really important to me is what God thinks. Because he knows. He knows whether I, I fail. He knows whether I do great. He knows whether, ah, it didn't work out too good. Maybe, ah, this message, oh, that was one of those bombers. Yeah, you know, kind of, I mean, I've had those that are like, oh, kill me now, Lord. I'm going to quit now. Forget it, you know, kind of thing. But God knows my heart. God knows what I'm thinking. God can see inside. What matters to me? God, what do you think? God says, eh, yeah, but you know what? I saw your heart. Paul, whether your evaluation is good or bad, doesn't matter. For what matters to me is what 
God thinks. Be careful, you guys. Watch out. Let me tell you, two of, of the most effective tools that, that Satan, that the devil uses on us, is, is, is one, number one, is he crushes you with, he crushes your self-confidence with condemnation. And you guys know that, yeah? How he comes down and, and it's like you're under his thumb and you're getting, yeah? That's one of, one of the devil's most effective tools. The second one is what we're talking about here. He'll come and stroke your ego. He'll come and stroke your ego to beef up your pride. Yeah. To make you think, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm better than anyone else. First, first strategy of the devil, oh, you're no good. But you know, if that doesn't work, oh, it comes the other way. Oh, you're so good, aren't you? Right? <laughs> Watch out. Watch out. Watch out, because you may be playing into his strategy. Be careful. Let's go on here to verse 5 now. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Paul goes on, he says, Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. All right, so Paul says, therefore, in other words, he's saying, since, you know, God is the evaluator, he's, his judgment, how he sees things, what he thinks is the most important, therefore, you know what, judge nothing, evaluate anyone before the time. What's the time? What time? Well, he says here, until the Lord come, until the Lord comes. He's talking about when the Lord's come back. In other words, you, you know, uh, don't judge anyone ahead of Jesus' return. Yeah? Don't judge. Why? Well, for, he says, who will bring, when he comes, he'll bring, uh, both bring to light the hidden thing of, of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. The, he'll bring to light the hidden things of darkness. Now, the darkness here is not talking about evil. But the idea here is, is that uh, uh, Paul's talking about the things that you cannot see inside a person. You can't look inside someone's heart. You can't really see what's in there. So God's going to bring that out, what's really inside, and reveal the counsels of the heart. The word counsels here in the Greek means like the goal or the intent, or even more better, I think, that for us today, it's the motives of the person's heart, what's inside of them. God will reveal that. God will see that when he comes. What are we talking about? We talked about this, right, the other week. The Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat where believers go and stand before God and their, their, what, their works, what they did are tested by what? Fire, right? And the ones that with the right motives are, are survive, the ones not, are all burned up. And then God will judge on his findings. And it says, then each one's praise, in verse 5, will come from God. God will bring reward to those who refine, who have rightly, with the right motive, served him. So Paul's saying, see, it's not up to you, Corinthians, to give, hey, those thumbs up or thumbs down on a person. You're not the judge. You're not the jury, Paul's saying. So do not think you are able and are even appointed to give out evaluation. You know what? That's God's business. This is his point here in verse 5. Do not think you are able and are appointed to give out evaluations. That's God's business, not yours. William Barclay said, only God knows all the motives. Man sees the deed, but God sees the intention. I like that. Yeah? We, we can only see the works. We can only see the actions. But God sees what's going on inside. He's the only one. We can't see it. So Paul's like, hey, do not, don't think that you're able and you're appointed to give out evaluations. You know what? That's God's business. I read about there's some very primitive people on this 
in this remote location, and, and they, were, they happened to be given canned food. On the first can was a picture of a cow. And you know what, what was inside? Corned beef. On the second can was a picture of corn on the cob. And what was inside? Corn, right, inside the can. Well, on the third can was a picture of a baby. What do you think they thought was in the can? A baby, huh? Yeah, it's baby food. See, we can be so wrong because all we see is the outside. We cannot see on the inside. Paul's like, don't, fall, don't think that you are able and are appointed to give out eva- evaluations. You can't. That's God's business. You know what? We can and will have the wrong evaluation. You know, sometimes I think I know what's inside. I know what's going on. But is that really my job? And I think about how many times I have hurt others when I misjudged what they did. I misjudged them. So, the issue with pride, you know, is you had the wrong evaluation. Let's go on to number two in our outline. Number two, the wrong perception. The wrong perception. You've seen the wrong evaluation. Now, number two, the wrong perception. Verse 6 now, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, and that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. Okay, Paul goes on. He says, Now these things, what things? These principles. What he's been talking about, that ministers are servants. They're not superheroes. They're not someone you're supposed to lift up and and gather around and, oh, yeah, that's the guy kind of thing. Not to be exalted. He said, you know what, these principles, brethren, I have figuratively transferred. In other words, I've used as illustrations myself and Apollos. Paul has used himself, Apollos, Peter, what he's been talking about, what we've been studying as examples now. As examples, why so that you may learn, that you may really see it in us. See, we're just we're just servants. We're just stewards. You know, we're not into the fame and getting the power or the money. You can see it in us. We're just I've used us as illustrations, and I'm not propping myself up. I'm not doing any of that. I'm just trying to show you these principles that you'll learn that you may not take. No, let's back up. That you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that you may not take things beyond uh, what Scripture is saying, that you would stick to these principles, that you would see what God has and wants, that you would see that this is God's way, not the world's way. This is, this is the Lord saying this, not human perception and thinking here. He says all this. Why? Look at the end of verse 6. That none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. The word puffed up literally in the Greek is uh, be filled with air. Full of air. The idea is being conceited. That you, you have this inflated view of yourself. You're, you're, we would say, oh, you're full of yourself. That's, that's what puffed up is. They're full of pure pride here. I picture a frog. Yeah, picture a frog swelling up just before it croaks. Yeah, that's what, that's, that's what Paul's saying. You guys, you know what? I'm saying all this so that you would not be puffed up. And really, this is the problem. Throughout 1 Corinthians, we're going to see that they were puffed up. And Paul keeps addressing it, addressing it, and he's addressing it here. And here, he's saying, I'm saying that so that you wouldn't be puffed up, that you'd be filled with yourself. And you know what the result of that is? He says that you go one against the other. This is the root problem Paul gets to. This is the root of division, for pride puts us one against the other. Here, Paul brings the Corinthian believers to face the root of their issue. It's the sin of pride. The sin of pride. And, and, and you know what? Take your thought one step further. John MacArthur wrote this. The basis of all sin 
is Christ. Because all sin is rebellion against God, and rebellion against God amounts to me setting my will against his will, and that's a proud act. I thought that was well said. Yeah, makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. All sin is, is really based on that pride, on our self, on our, our, it's our, about us. That's pride, and that's a proud act. See, the Corinthian believers were puffed up. How in context here? Well, in thinking their picks, yeah, for their teacher were the better ones, the better picks, because they knew. Remember, with their human wisdom, with the worldly philosophy. Remember, this is how the Greek culture was. Oh, they lift up the philosophers, the debaters, the thinkers. They argue about, oh, who's better? Who's the better guy? Who's the smarter guy? And they brought that into the church, into the pastors, into the teachers and preachers who come through. So some would say, I'm a Paul. Some would say, I'm a Apollos. I'm a Peter. They're all puffed up and thinking their picks were better teachers. They would probably say, hey, we know. You don't. Yeah. We're wise. You're not. We get it. And you don't. Because we pick this. That was a carnal way, right, First Corinthians 2, of perceiving things. It was really pride, and Paul is bringing them to this place. Now, understand one thing. Loyalty is not a bad thing. It's not. It's not bad to be loyal. But here, loyalty is mixed with fleshly pride, and it resulted in division and contention. And guess what? That's exactly what Satan likes, and that's what Satan wants. Right, doesn't Satan take, doesn't he always take something good, yeah? Maybe even a truth, mixes it, yeah, with, with his thing, and it comes out all bad and destruction and destroys, right? So here, the loyalty wasn't a bad thing. They were loyal to certain teachers, but the loyalty mixed with pride brought division, and it ruined relationships. And so they were blinded with this loyal pride to their teachers. And so the Corinthian believers themselves were destroying the church. Now, to help them open their eyes, their blind eyes to their pride, to help them open their eyes, Paul goes on here in verse 7. He writes, For who makes you differ from one another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So right here, Paul asks three things to help them see. First of all, he says in verse 7, Who makes you differ from one another? The word differ means superior. Or we would say, hey, what makes you think you're better than anybody else? Just because you belong to this group? Just because, oh, you're, you're, you're with this teacher? It's like someone will say, hey, what church do you go to? Oh, you go there? Too bad. Well, I guess everybody can't win, you know. Someone has to be the loser somewhere. I mean, wh- what is that? Does that make you better? That's what Paul's saying. What makes you think you're so much better? Then he, said, then he asked the second question. What do you have that you did not receive? He says, think about this right now, you guys. What do you have that you didn't get from someone? Right? I mean, if you think about that for a moment, if you rewind the tape of your life, hey, yeah, you know what? I was born naked and with nothing, right? Yeah, right? I had nothing. But throughout my life, what happened? It was given to me. My parents or, or people or how about take one step back. It was God, right? God who was there. God who sustained you. God who gave you food, clothing, housing, yeah, your education. God gave you your IQ. God gave you your talents, your abilities, even your job, even your career, right? Well, hey, I'm a self-made man. Well, Hey, your talent, your education, who, who sovereignly gave it to you? God, right? Even our salvation, right? It is a gift of God, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. 9, we, you know, we're saved by what? Faith, yeah? It's nothing that we've done. It's a gift. So Paul's like, 
Hey, what do you have that you didn't get from someone? What did you have that you did not receive? Then he, then he brings up a third question to open our eyes. He says, if you did, if you, now if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Now the NLT renders this like this. And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? I like that. It's like, why are you taking credit and you act like you did it all? You made it happen when it was just given to you. Oh, yeah, right. Did I do this? No, it was God, right? I like what one hymn writer said in, in this way. He said, not that I have gotten, but what I received. Grace hath bestowed it since I believe. Boasting excluded, pride I bate. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. I love that. Amen? Yes? Amen. Well, Paul's not done. He goes on in verse 8, and he gets a little sarcastic here. But remember, he's trying to open these blind eyes. He's trying to get these Corinthian believers to see that their, pri their pride is messing things up. So he goes on in verse 8, and he's like, You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. So Paul goes on a little sarcastically, but again, helping them here, reaching out to them. He's like, but wait now. You are already full. The word full means satisfied. Well, I don't need anything. I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay. Yeah. You are already rich. Yeah. They got the wealth. They're all set. They're okay. You know, sometimes people walk into church like, I'm good. Yeah. My life is good. I'm all right. Let's see, crossing your arms. Let's see what the pastor will say today. Yeah. That's me, guys. I'm already full. I'm already rich. And then Paul says, you have reigned as kings without us. You know what he's referring to is the millennium. Now, in the millennium, Christians were going to, believers were going to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years on the earth, right? So Paul brings that up. Oh, you, you're reigning now? Even without us, you high muckamuckas, in, you're in the millennium already, and it's, guess what? Without us, even, the apostles. And it's kind of making them think, oh, well, yeah, wait, wait a minute, shouldn't they be there too? Yeah. And then Paul kind of adds, but hey, you know what? I wish you did reign. I wish we were in the millennium, because you know what? We would be reigning with you, and Jesus would come, would be here, and hey, it'll be so great. Kind of puts in a little thing there. See what Paul's saying? You guys have the wrong perception here. You see yourself of something more than you really are because you're blinded by pride. And that's the point here. Paul's saying you see yourselves as something more than you really are because you're blinded by pride. Robin said, Robinson said, Pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone sick except the one who has it. <laughs> I like that. Yeah? Pride makes you think you're okay. Someone said, it is the devil's masterpiece to make us think well of ourselves. Yeah? Playing with our pride, fooling us. Are you blinded by your pride today? Paul's saying, you see yourselves as something more than you really are because it's pride. Maybe you're blinded by your pride today. Maybe all of this is making you think, yeah? Do you go around most of the time saying, well, I know. I know more than you. Yeah. Do you go around most of the time being an evalu evaluator, critical of everything? Do you go around like you're the expert? Yeah. But really, you're the expert of nothing. <laughs> right? Are you blinded? Let me tell you today, pride is a tricky thing. Yeah? Pride is a tricky thing. You think you're okay, but you're really not. This sin can make its vic victim think they don't even have it. Now, a lot of times in a message like that, you'll be thinking, yeah, I, I, I'm not like that. Or I was like that. You know? I remember I used to strut around. 
Yes, you know, kind looking, all with pride, yeah. But now, no, my shoulders aren't like that. They're funny like this one, yeah, yeah. I'm so humble now, I am proud. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> then you are proud. No, but, you know, we may think in the big areas we're okay, but the reality, you know what? There are areas in all of us. Oh, I, in my own study here, I was studying, I was like, oh, God, I'm seeing things, yeah? I'm seeing things. I mean, think about this. Test your reactions in this way. Test your reactions. How do you feel when someone else is selective, yeah? Your bypass, whether at work or whatever that is, yeah? How do you feel? Resentment. You struggle with that? Or are you happy? Oh, yeah, I'm so happy. Or they're me. Yeah? You know what? That's pride. That's pride. Because if you really were thinking of the other person, Philippians 2, right? It would be great. But no, who are you thinking about right then? Me. Right? How about this text? How do you react when someone mentions an issue that you've honestly been struggling with? Yeah? And they mention it. You know you have a problem, but they come and they mention it. Right? It's one thing to speak with God in your devotions. Yes, Lord, yeah. But then someone, hey, you know, you're like that. What? What are you accusing me of? What? Right? What's that? Your pride. Your pride wants to fight them. You get angry. Why? Because you're ashamed. You know. It's exposed. You know. So rather than uh, or trying to hide that shame, yeah, your pride comes out and shields you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You call me. What? What? It's pride, you guys. It's pride. How about this? Here's another test. How do you deal with a person who doesn't agree with what you strongly hold to? You may be right. Or what you strongly know. How do you respond to that? What? It's like they're coming against you if they question it. What? No. Yeah? What happens? Oh, the horn starts to come out. Yeah. You start breathing heavily through your nose. <laughs> right? You're already what? Judging their character. You're already, what? Why are you coming against me? I know the only reason you're questioning me is you're coming against me and, and you, you don't think I know, but I know. What is that? Pride. Test your reaction, reactions. What happens? When someone accuses you of doing the same thing you had confronted them with. How about that one? Yeah? Hey, you know, you're doing this. Yeah, but you're doing what? You're doing that too. Oh, that, that starts to irritate us, doesn't it? Yeah? That irritates us. You know what usually happens? We don't stop to consider that splinter in that other person's eye is really a beam in our own. That's pride, you guys. Are we blinded by pride? Seeing ourselves as something more than we really are? Thinking that, now nah, we're the one, we know. We're better. We're the judge. We're the jury. You listen to me. In 1996, two ships collided in the Black Sea off Russia. Hundreds of passengers died and drowned in that accident. The investigation revealed that it wasn't because of any technical issue like radar malfunction or even because there was thick fog around. You know what the reason was? Pure stubbornness. Each captain of, of each boat was too proud to yield first and give way. They may, no, I'm holding on. No, you, right? And then they cause what Paul is saying. Look, you guys, the pride is destroying the church, dividing the church. Let's go on here, our last heading, number three, the wrong distinction, the wrong distinction. We're going to go quickly here. The issue with pride is, number one, the wrong evaluation. Number two, the wrong perception. You think you're, you're okay and better. Number three now is the wrong distinction. 
First Corinthians chapter four, verse nine. For I think that God has displayed as the apostles last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. That's like both all around in heaven and earth. Now Paul goes on to share the reality of God's servants. They're they're not like a success in the world. They're not the way that the Corinthians are thinking that people really should be. Paul's like, it's not the distinction like you're thinking. Paul says, you know, for I think, you know, what I see here is that God has displayed us apostles, you know, uh, the last. In other words, last in society status, low on the totem pole. We already talked about that. We're servants and stewards. And then he says, as men, like prisoners condemned to death, And he goes on connecting this, for we have been made a spectacle to the world. The word word spectacle is theatron, theatron in the Greek. It means theater, but it really refers to when prisoners are brought into the Colosseum, into the arena, the Roman Colosseum, to fight wild animals and die. Moffat translates this. God needs us apostles to come in at the very end like doomed gladiators in the arena. That's who we are. We're just these prisoners thrown to the lions yeah, to fight them. We're, we're like nothing in society. And the distinction is this. He goes on in verse 10. We are fools for Christ's sake, but hey, you are wise in Christ. Right here, Paul is referring to reputation. You know, in this way, we're like shamed fools. While you guys sit there looking as being so wise, yeah, the philosophers, the guys who, who are with the, the smart guys. He goes on in verse 10, We are weak, but you are strong. Paul here refers to the position. We're weak. We're just weak, lowly slaves while you sit in authority. Putting your thumbs up or thumbs down. And then in the end of verse 10, he says, you are distinguished. Now, there's, he's referring to their status. You know, you're, you're the honored ones, but we are dishonored. Paul is like, I guess we're really nothing in the way you're thinking. So sort of in a sarcastic way, Paul is, is like making a distinction here. Paul is saying, you know, you make this distinction. Like in the Greek culture, yeah, oh, these philosophers, they're looked up to, but hey, look what the, look at the apostles. Well, I don't know, they're not so great, yeah. This isn't success. This isn't what we call, oh, they're doing great, they made it. And even today, we question that, don't we? Paul's like, if God is apostles suffer like this, what does it say about your standards of what is great? What is success? What's greatness? You know, I think of missionaries like Adoniram Judson, who at age 24 gave up his life in America to go to Burma to reach the unreached. He never heard about Jesus. He suffered. He went through a lot. He was thrown in prison. But God kept him there, and he brought people into the kingdom. Age 24, he gave up his life in America. Or how about C.T. Studd, who gave up his professional sports career, yeah, and he went to China as a missionary. Or Dr. Helen Rosevere, who gave up wealth, success, affluence, to go to one of the most dangerous parts of Africa to share the love of Jesus. She went to the, the Congo. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, your distinction, what, 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 your, the separateness of, oh, you've got to be up there, or, you know, real teachers are up here. Hey, think about it. Think about it. It's different. Verse 11, to the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. We are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. He says, look, apostles aren't building a life here. It's not about success in the world's eyes. You know, it's about sacrifice, sacrifice. He's saying, see, you got to understand, we live a different kind of life. Verse 12, he says, this is the life we live. And we labor, working with our own 
hands. Now, Paul says that specifically, you know, Paul was a tent maker, right? But to the Greeks, manual labor, hey, that wasn't status. You know, to have servants and not work, to have wealth and money, that was status. Paul's saying, hey, look at us. You try and lift us up and you, you make us like these guys, but think about it. That's not success. We labor. We're working with our own hands. He goes on in verse 12, being reviled, we bless. In other words, evil things are said about us. What do we do? We retaliate. No. They bless them. Being persecuted, verse 12, we endure. Yeah, even in persecution, we don't give up. We don't say, well, this is not for me. Well, I'm going to live a better life over here. No, what do they do? They endure. They keep going. Verse 13, our last verse. Being defamed, we entreat. Like being ashamed, defamed, slandered upon. What do they do? Entreat means they answer back with kindness. How different is that? I'm sure they're, they're high makamaka philosophers, yeah? If they were defamed, oh, they would come back. We're going to have a deba- debate right now, and I'm going to shame you. Yeah? Paul said, no. We answer back with kindness. And then the last part of verse 13. We have been made as filth of the world, the offscoring of all things until now. Paul's saying this. The idea is now, even after responding like this, we're still treated like scum, the offscoring. We're still treated like dirt, the filth of the world. But he's like, it's okay. Because the world doesn't see the value in living this way. Because in living this way, that's what? That's where God is, right? In living in this low, foolish, weak, looking to the world, that's where the Lord is. Second Corinthians 13, Paul wrote, For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Paul knew where he was at. Paul knew what was right. Paul knew the truth. Paul knew what it meant to really be a minister and serve God. So our last point this morning is this. The distinction is not to be better than others. The distinction is to be like Jesus and live differently. That's what Paul is rolling out here. He's like, look at this, you guys. Are you thinking? Are you thinking about your views? Are you thinking about your standards? Are you thinking about that pride inside you that wants to be here in the world? We're down here in the world, guys. But you know what? Down here is up here with God. That's what he's saying. The distinction is not to be better than others. The distinction is to be like Jesus and live differently. Do you guys see that? Open your blind eyes. Do you see that? Now I was reading how, you know, when you hit the age 40, it gets harder to focus on close objects. You know what it's called? I looked it up. It's called pres... <laughs> I can't say it. Presby- presbyopia. Pia. Presby- presbyopia. Which is the loss of focusing ability due to the hardening of the lens inside of your eye. Now I know what I have. I have presbyopia. That's what I have. Yeah. Cool. Don't I sound smart? Oh, that's pride. Sorry. As we age, even with that, our muscles that control our pupils and its reaction to light loses strength. The pupil becomes less responsive to changes in ambient lighting. So older people need more light to read. And that's me. I thought, oh, that's why. I get what's going on. Okay. I see it. I understand. Well, this is what Paul's saying. You can't see. You're blind. You need to see this. You need to understand what's going on. You know what? Some Christians who have been with the Lord for years start to lose their spiritual vision of how they see their life here on earth. Is that you? You used to be broken. You used to be humble before the Lord, but pride has crept back in unnoticed. And you've changed now. Armed with the little truth, knowledge of the Bible, Armed with some years under your belt as a Christian, pride says, I know. 
I know better than you. I am to be listened to. You? Really? Eyes? You hear all the eyes in there? What's in the middle of the word pride? The letter I. I. Well, you maybe think you're doing okay. Maybe even today, this morning, you're saying, well, I have a hand on my pride, but do not be deceived. Look deep in your heart. Sweep every corner, every crevice, every crack. You know why. I want to do that. That's what I was challenged with. I challenge you guys as we close today. So that the Holy Spirit can truly fill you. That's why. D.L. Moody once said, I believe that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride, selfishness, and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. I like that. I want that. Pride and fruitfulness in God are incompatible. If you look in the Bible, God looks for and uses the humble to do His mighty works. I'll close with this story on with that. The famous Greek philosopher Socrates was once asked by one of his students, Why is it, sir, that you tell all who want to become your disciple to look into this pond and tell you what he sees? Socrates replied, That is very simple. I am ready to accept all those who tell me they see the fish swimming around. But those who see only their own image mirrored in the water are in love with their ego. I have no use for them. Well, let our lives be about Jesus. Not me. Not our ego. No more. Let's let it go and deal with the issue of pride. Let's pray. Lord, as we bow down before you and after God speaking to us in this manner, Lord, I ask that you open my eyes to that pride hidden inside those cracks and crevices in the corners, Lord. Help me to sweep it out, God, because I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Help us all, Lord, to, to look at the reality of some of the things that we do are so motivated by pride. Help us, Lord, that if we've been carrying ourselves along in this way for so long, Lord, that it's become this habit to feed in, to, to live by pride inside of us, even as Christians. Lord, let my life, let our lives be no longer about me, my opinion, what I think, but let all that be a sacrifice to you, Jesus. Let my life, let me be no longer be rebellion against you, but let my life be a sacrifice for you, live for you alone, even in the deepest, darkest parts of my heart. Lord, let us all live for your will. Let your will be done, not mine. Let you be glorified, not me. And Lord, help us through this life as we hold tightly to you. And as we hold tightly to you, God, hold tightly to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand and we'll close with one song.